Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is July 5th, 2017, and this is episode 208. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on today's show, we're going to discuss just when you can wave the white flag on this team going forward. We'll also explore what it takes to root for a bad team. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show, which is definitely necessary for the week. It's time for the drink of the week. So, Jake, what are you doing this week for your drink of the week? Well, I'm going to start my drink of the week with a mea copa. And uh, as per my normal... Jake, I'm not Catholic. I have let you down. I've let everyone down. But specifically, I've let Charlie Burr down. Charlie uh, sent us a uh, tweet after I talked about Moose Drool last week. and said, what? No shout out? Oh, Montana showed your brother a good time. Charlie Burr, of course, tweets at show me your O's face. I like it. Nice handle. He followed a tweet that he sent us back on February 21st, which says, Bird's Eye View BAL, your mission is to find moose drool from Big Sky Brewing in Missoula, Montana for a drink of the weeks. Cheers from another beer slash Orioles fans. Char- Did you really just want to say Missoula? No. Okay. But uh, Charlie, I apologize Thank you for trying to steer us in the right direction. The moose rule was good. Thank you. And I'm glad that someone actually is holding us accountable on this podcast. At least one of you out there is doing so. That's one listener. Um, so my drink of the week is it's the alpha and the omega. All right. It's, it's both sides of the spectrum. I'm double fisting tonight. I have uh, loose cannon, which okay. is, you know, one of my faves. Gotcha. And your 1994 cooler that um, is very tan. I'm a gypsy this week. Um I'm also drinking Bud Light Lime. All right, so we've taken some definite steps away from Moostrol, basically. A little bit, a little bit. What about you? Uh, I'm actually drinking a Burton Baton from Dogfish Head Brewery that was brought over to me by yourself uh, for helping you move um, heavy furniture into your household. Yeah, thanks for that. No problem. With that, um, if you want to find out what we're drinking on a daily slash weekly basis, check us out on Untapped. You can follow Jake at... Jake E4025. You can follow me at MAGN8606. And with that, um, I guess we'll go ahead and dabble on over into the medical wing. Time for your checkup, time for your checkup. I'm gonna check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. Gonna listen to your heart, and fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. <laughs> it's okay if you giggle. There will be no giggling. I think this is the only part we can actually giggle in this show. So, <laughs> all right. So, Mark Trumbo left calf contusion, fouled ball off his leg, removed in Tuesday's game. X-ray came back negative. He's playing in Wednesday's game. I guess we're just moving on past this. I mean, if all in all honesty, uh, it's not like his offensive production is really going to 
take a hit. Oh, man. Stop being so negative. Oh, sorry. Let me, because the, the x-ray came out negative. Yeah. Uh, let me move on to something a little more positive, Scott. Sure. Someone else whose lack of production we haven't missed is Chris Davis. And Chris Davis's right oblique strain is looking slightly less oblique. He felt good after throwing and hitting on Tuesday in Milwaukee, had no setbacks, and is still on par, on pace with his rehab program. He's scheduled to play at least one rehab start, probably a couple, uh, at least he'll play in Delmarva. And if all goes to plan, he'll be reinstated for the Cubs series after the All-Star break. Do you really feel like the Orioles are missing out on Chris Davis Not at last all. month? You don't think so at all? No. Okay. Not Not with what he was offering. See, I don't really think he was that bad. Is the best way to put it. Uh, has our has our first baseman been okay this past uh, couple of weeks? Uh, it's been okay, yeah, yeah. But again, then you've had to fill in with like a Craig Gentry and a bunch of other people on left field and right field as well. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'd rather be on the club than not. But uh, yeah, I, I don't. I'm not saying we're feeling the pinch. Here's what I'll say to that: is um, over the past 30 days where Chris Davis has been out. The Euros are currently putting up an 88 weighted runs created plus. Now, is that all Davis related? No, but it's certainly, I do think Davis is better than 88 rated runs created plus. Even him getting on base, I think, serves a purpose. What would it take in weighted runs created plus? What figure would the Orioles have to reach to overcome their their own pitching staff? One second. Uh, Jake, I just see an infinite sign here. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. When, when the starter gives up four runs in the first and three runs in the second— it doesn't matter how good your lineup is. But you know what's important when your strength pitching is going up in, in flames? It's important that you get your closer back. And Zach Britton is coming back with a left forearm strain. Um, he's back with the club. Um, and he's going to bring that dominating presence to the back of the bullpen, um, which will certainly come in handy in games like this evening when the Orioles are starting to get blown out. Hey, junk time. He's going to look great. He is going to look great. And again, now it's all about basically getting some of those stots, spot starts in there um, to basically offer him as trade bait to the nationals in the next coming weeks mm. it's going to be that kind of podcast is it it is going to be listen we were very positive for weeks on weeks end, and you know what the tide has turned can i just go through the remainder of the uh the medical wing here sure so we've got stefan Crichton, who i didn't don't realize care. was hurt we nope, had ryan care. flaherty who's kind of care kind of care yeah. yeah jj hardy he's still out although yeah. Expected to be back sooner than I would have thought. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Mike Wright and Anthony Santander. Who, Again, don't uh, care. Yeah. Norfolk Shuttle. Yeah. All right. So 140 characters less this week on the Twitters. I want to start off this week on the Twitters and say that if the Orioles can't entertain us on the field, and I've seen some evidence to that point, at least they can entertain us off the field. Ooh. This is a tweet that came from Iraq RTD. At Barstool RTD, RDT, of course, friend of the program, Eric RDD. Uh, his, his tweet is as follows. Good Lord, Orioles Twitter account is out for blood tonight. I love it. And he's not wrong. The Orioles Twitter account was out for blood the other night. Uh, I, I would say that the Orioles Twitter account had a, a moment in time where I would have thought that the Cleveland people were running it. They were going tete-a-tete with some fans that were giving them a hard time. And I, I have to be honest, it wasn't a terrible look. I didn't hate that from Orioles Twitter. Uh, what about you, Scotty? What do you think of the official Orioles account getting a little feisty? Not bad, um, but like in typical Orioles fashion, a few seasons too late. 
<laughs> Fair enough. Fair All enough. right. So the next tweet comes from uh, Utah Street Report at Utah Street Report. Uh, and I've seen worse plans than the, the, than the following. Here's my plan for the Orioles' future. Take that $400 million you're thinking, thinking of giving to Manny. Instead, buy Tampa's entire scouting slash de- development department. Here's another idea. Take all that money that you're going to spend for international free agency and go ahead and just spend it on the Tampa Bay scouting. <sighs> Yikes. Yeah. All right. Look, I need to feel better right now. And so I'm going to bring in a few of my favorite things. Okay. These are these are a few of my favorite these things. These are a few of my favorite things. Uh, first is Joe Angel, because this tweet comes to us from Joe Angel at Wave It Bye Bye. He said, hard day's night for the Orioles. Trail 10-3 to 3 in the seventh. Homer and 12-minute rain delay, and the game is even slower. Almost three hours to play six innings. Oh, I'm sorry. That's hour and 12 minutes. Uh, I responded with a an animated GIF from the film Hard Day's Night, and Joe Angel responded back to me, one of my favorite things, and said, getting drummed like Ringo. Uh, I love that Joe Angel can make a solid Beatles reference and follow it with another solid Beatles reference. Uh, my hat is off to you, sir. That is a good one. All right, so this next tweet is going to come from, um, oh, it's from Chris Maurer, actually. Uh, we're, he's at, at Maurer FTW, and it's, can someone younger than me make a gif of Avaldo's head onto John Cusack holding the boombox in Say Anything? Hashtag in your eyes. Now, for those that are a little bit younger, uh, this is a 1980s reference, and um, well, you really kind of need to be there, but um, it is definitely a, a classic movie that needs to be, be seen. Peter Gabriel. Yeah. Where's Deep Cuts now? See, this isn't Deep Cuts, though. In your eyes, Jake. Jake, if I were to stand outside your bedroom and hold a boombox, would this entice you to come out and see me? All the things you've been carrying in front of my house have been coming into my house, so no. Did you know in this movie, the guy actually drives around in a Crown Vic? Nice. I'm just joking with you about that. I've got to needle you about the Crown Vic every once in a while. You want me to take the next one? Uh, Please do. So this is not a good trend to um, kind of follow. This next tweet comes from Sungmin Kim, um, who actually is a, um, I hate to say it, he's a devout Yankees fan, but he is also one of the uh, top experts, in my opinion, in terms of the KBO League. Um, and he posts as follow- follows, Taehong Chong, Sukmin Yoon, Sungmin Kim, and Hansu Kim, the TV graphic reads, The Wrong Match, Baltimore and Korean players. And this is during a KBO game this past week. Not the kind of um, company you want to keep, especially with the um, gross talent that has been coming out of the KBO lately. Um, Eric Thames from the Milwaukee series has obviously proven that as well. The thing is, is that this tweet has a graphic of all these guys, and I was expecting all of them to be frowning, like the Andino progression sure. tweet. That but, was a little but Hansu Kim is always smiling. Always he smiling. Is, and sometimes dancing. And sometimes dancing. But again, as long as he is on the Orioles, he's okay. But if it's Norfolk, instant frowning face. Our last tweet comes from Matt Kremnitzer, who tweets, of course, at Matt Kremnitzer. Fans coming out of the woodwork to complain about fan, uh, to complain about things known about the Orioles organization for years. Makes it more random slash special that O's went on any run. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how I feel about this, Scotty. I, I, I know that this is one that was near and dear to your heart. I I think that uh, Orioles fans were not coming out of the woodwork to complain about things that have been known about the Orioles organization for years. I feel like even when the Orioles were going through sustained winning, the fans were complaining about 
lots of things. I think we were complaining about different things than harping on minor things. I think we would look and basically say, oh, well, look, we signed Delman Young, and Delman Young was successful here, or we signed this player, and it worked out really well for us as well. But I don't think we were focusing so much on... I don't think the common fan, as it were, was, was focusing on this. Now, maybe folks that are listening to this this podcast that are Orioles diehards, that's one matter. But I think the typical fan that listens to Jim Hunter and thinks he's preaching the gospel because he talks about the Archdiocese of Baltimore, um, I, I, I think they're looking at us saying, what went wrong? And they're, they're pointing out to some of these issues. I think it's hysterical that those commercials only come on when relievers are coming in, and I'm praying anyway. But... It, I think it is a situation where the team now is um, a little bit different. Now that they're losing, Orioles fans are trying to figure out what are they going to do. It's been five years um, since they basically had to root for a bad team. Which brings to the question, Jake, how do you root for a bad team? You know, back in episode 164... Ah, the good old times. We explored how to root for a good team. You see, Orioles fans for so long had been accustomed to rooting for terrible teams. And so we were ill-equipped to deal with the downs that sometimes face a good team to go along with the ups. Without the ups, we had no context. Well, we seem to be a little bit in the reverse situation here in 2017. And you would think that we would be very familiar with rooting for a terrible team. But after five years of good Orioles squads, Scotty, I don't know about you, but I have amnesia. I'm a little out of practice. And here's the thing I don't understand. I used to get so excited about terrible Orioles teams. And I sometimes wonder, how did I do that? How did I generate the hype and the hope and the faith to watch those teams. And I mean, I didn't just casually watch them. Mm-hmm. I was a diehard Orioles fans. And, and it wasn't it wasn't fake. I legitimately loved rooting for those terrible Orioles teams. I, I, I wonder what the difference is. I mean, back then, we knew what good teams looked like. Fans of our age and older had seen the 96 and 97 teams, if not further back to the glory days. So what was different? And, and if we could bottle that, how would we apply it to 2017 what would that look like i have a couple of thoughts and i, I want to bounce them off you and so you can call me dumb i think that if the orioles are going to go through at least a couple of years of of badness you're dumb <laughs> yes true okay i think if the orioles are going to go through a couple of years of badness at least the baseball needs to be less about the outcome and more about the shared experience. Sure. Right? I mean, when I think back to those, you know, 2007, 2008, which horrible team. Absolutely. It was me and my friends and my family at the ballpark or watching the games, you know, you know, at dinner or having the radio on the background with, with, with whoever. I, I think that uh, baseball is going to be come during that time that thing that we dislike so much with the casual uninterested people at the ballpark but hey at least they'll be there right yeah i mean i i think it's the aspect of you're going more for the experience once again and the aspect of i hope i can pull some kind of story 
and or sometime some aspect of a good time it wasn't so much about the plays that were on the field or where you stood in the standings it was more so about the story or the experience that you had um, with your family and friends around you i think back to the one game that you've talked about before where you've went with friends to um, the red sox and the orioles game the rain delay happened um, and the orioles managed to come back with a nine-run deficit and basically come back and win that game those are the kind of games that you have a story to tell for the rest of your life, basically saying I was in the trenches, I was doing this. Um, and you were able to share that experience with a friend where when you're drinking a beer together, you're going to say, you remember that one time we did this really stupid thing. And um, it, it, it's fun to have that kind of moment. The problem is those moments are so infrequent um, that it becomes a question of, you're looking forward to the next time that can happen and you're not sure when it's going to happen. Do you think that if we have to go through a couple more years of, of terrible Orioles teams, that eventually we'll numb ourselves out to the losing? Like, do you think that it'll just be like, Oh, the O's one, you know, they lost in the, again last night. I, I think it's going to be one of those situations where, um, and we've talked about this before, um, when the Orioles were bad, um, where you get into August and September and it's more of a situation of you're looking at the box score in the paper at the end of the day. Um, and you're just like, all right, so that's what happened last night. And you're not really, really watching the games as much as you were um, when the team was really good, where it basically was like, I'm not going to bed because I think something is going to happen. It's as we talked earlier in the season, there's a lot of times when you're watching a game and you can write out the script for the rest of the game. And the one thing that the Orioles um, over the past five years have been able to do is kind of write the script of saying, we are always in it and we're always a play away from being right back in it. And it certainly doesn't feel that way right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't mean it uh, cruelly when I say it, but you know, uh, this evening on, on Wednesday, you know, the Orioles let a run score in the second inning and I turned to you and I said, well, you know, is the game over? (laughs) And, and we're really getting to that point. If, if the losing is going to happen though, does that make those, those rare moments of win or, or great plays or whatever it is all that more sweeter or, or do you think that, that that's a cheap ploy to get us interested in baseball? It's probably a cheap ploy. And coming all the way back to season one in Bird's Eye View, we basically came into season one Bird's Eye View right after the 2011 season. We basically were um, coming into the aspect of we are going to do a podcast on a bad baseball team, um, which I think my first line on Bird's Eye View was you said, let's talk about the Orioles. And I think my first line on Bird's Eye View was, do we have to? Uh, and, and that's kind of a similar situation where I'd say this is the first time in the podcast history since episode one where I sat down with Jake and we said, what do we want to talk about? And I said, I'm not sure if there's anything I really want to talk about right now with the, with, with the Baltimore Orioles, which certainly has been different um, than it has ever been um, in, in the history of this podcast. So it's a kind of a monumental aspect. But I, I think to a certain regard, you have to kind of look for – those small victories and those small things that interest you and some things that you maybe had pushed to the side and just said, this is one player that I'm going to attach to, or this is going to be um, one kind of play that I'm going to be attaching to. I think back in the, in the dark ages, it was, we became very attached to Brian Roberts and Nick Markakis. I think the question is going to be is if we're entering into the dark ages and we're entering into a period where there's going to be a lot of turnover, who is going to become that Brian Roberts and Nick Markakis for the next 
we'll call it three to five years. Yeah, and it's a shame because, you know, you talk about, oh, we'll just check the box score because we're kind of fading on our you know willingness to subject ourselves to an entire game. You miss out on the Manny plays right that way, you know, and uh, that's a bummer. Uh, particularly because we've still got him right now. And whether or not, you know, he remains an Oriole, uh, oftentimes, you know, watching that play and thinking to yourself, God, how does a human being do that? You know, sometimes that's worth the price of admission. All right, so so that is, you know, less about the outcome and more about the shared experience. Here's here's my next item for rooting for a bad team. Okay. I, I am curious as to how you feel about this one. I feel like to a certain degree, you have to take the entertainment that you're given. Okay. Right. And there's nothing like pennant chase baseball. Yep. There's nothing like, you know, night after night knowing that your team can come back and win or night after night watching your team win. But if you're not given that, don't you at some level have to kind of embrace the bad? And I think specifically about the night of 30 to 3. Mm-hmm. Or I think about the discussion we had a couple of weeks ago about, you know, the way fans were reacting to that you know, streak of, of five plus run games of, of 20 games in a row. Like at some point, don't you just have to latch on to the terribleness, embrace it, own it, make it your own and kind of, you know, make, make the team into the lovable loser just so that you're able to love them. So I think this is a difficult conversation for both of us to have because, um, when the Orioles were in the dark ages, we were in, um, our sophomore period of our teenage years slash college years is the best way to describe it in our twenties. Whereas time was a little bit more of a freedom slash, uh, there wasn't children involved and stuff like that. Um, we can't have these sophomore notions anymore of, um, Oh, well let's just embrace bad and spend time watching something in futility because we really have nothing else to go and do. At this moment, we have families to take care of. You have a brand new house. It's really the question of, am I going to sit down for three hours to see um, five minutes of something that amuses me? Where I could easily have done this by catching up on it on Twitter or on Facebook or on MLB at, at a later date. I think you're giving me an awful lot of credit saying I'm beyond my sophomore state. That's... That's high praise from you, Scott Magnus. We are coming up on the bevies next week, which, again, I think we will f- fully see your sophomoric state in action. So you're telling me the badness will not scratch your That's bench. a tease, by the way. Nice. Yeah. That's, a, yeah. that, that's a professional yeah. term. All right. Last thing that I want to talk about yeah. as far as the way to latch onto a bad team. Sure. And that's engaging in the future. Yeah. We were always looking to the minors. We were always looking to to the next big thing, hoping that, you know, Weeders or Arietta or Mattis or whoever the next big thing was going to be would lead us to the promised land. Sure. So, I mean, we need to get ourselves to the point where the Orioles have a farm system again and then look to the next cavalry. Um, and do you think that we will be more cynical because that cavalry never arrived for the Orioles? Or do you think that we'll fall back into the same traps of just assuming that the number one draft pick for the Orioles is going to be the next best thing and then allowing ourselves to be disappointed when that doesn't happen? So I I think it's one of those situations where we look at uh, the cavalry, as it were, and we say, that's going to be the next breaking point where the team all of a sudden gets better. But you look at the way the farm system is currently approached and there's nothing there that screams anything is going to come out of value there. Not to mention you've got Cody Sedlock this week um, with potential Tommy John's issues with an elbow flexor strain. 
um, being placed on the DL within the minor leagues on July 1st. Uh, I, I, I think it, I think it does come back to you don't so much rely on the cavalry, but you figure out who is going to be your franchise player going forward. If it's not Manny, who is it going to be? Um, you could point to Davis and say Davis is going to be a person since he's going to be here for another five years. But in reality, we all know that that's not the case. So the question is, who is going to be that Brian Roberts, Melvin Mora, Nick Marcakis type player that is really going to solidify and say, that's a person I really want to root for, even though they're on a bad team. And Adam Jones was kind of that too for a, a shorter period of time than those players. Um, but I don't know if I can point to one player on this team right now that says, no matter if they're on a good team or a bad team, I will always root for that player. And I don't know if I can say that right now for any player on this team. You know, it's interesting because I agree with you that the farm system is in shambles. But at the same time, the farm system has produced some talent that I wasn't expecting. Okay. Um, Mancini, I was not expecting to be as as good as he's been. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Scope is a player that that came up through the or- Orioles system that I did not expect to be as good as he is. Sure. I'm not saying that he's an all-star. Wait. I'm not saying that he should be an all-star, right? but uh, everybody's got to have a pity pick. And, uh, you know, pleasantly surprised. So you just got to hope. So are you saying that Jonathan Scope is the Ty Wigginton of the Baltimore Orioles? Yes. Okay. And good pull, by the way. Thank you. But you got to hope that you hit on some of the ones you weren't expecting. Sure. I, I, I think it comes back to, of, um, you know, Jonathan Scope, great. Glad that he's having success. Um how sustainable is this going forward? And yes, Jonathan Scope has been absolutely amazing um, to start the season. I still think he's going to end up with less than 30 home runs on the year. I mean, I'm sorry. I just think that's what, what's going to happen. And I, I think it still comes back to, we've talked about Jonathan Scope on this program for, even when he was in the minors and playing for the kingdom of the Netherlands, I always said, if he could be a Melvin Moore like player, I would be ecstatic. And I still see him as that Melvin Moore like player where it's, Okay, he's not an all-star, but he's also not terrible. But if he's putting up two to three war seasons, I'll take that any single year. But it's not a franchise player. It's a accessory piece that is a really good piece, but it's not a franchise player. And I see that as Jonathan Scope. So I have a dumb question. Sure. Can you think of any good teams that don't have that guy, that don't have the franchise player? They have more sums of the parts. Good teams? Yeah. Um, and I've just, I, I, I've just put you on the spot, but I think I'm trying to underscore your point. No, which I can't is, really think of anyone. You need that guy. Yeah. You need that guy if you're going to be good. Um, if, if the Orioles are not going to be good for two, three years, whatever it's going to be, hopefully not 14, um, do you need that guy right away? You don't need him right away, but it's one of those situations where you can also look at your system and, and if you don't have a situation where you don't have any positional players, for example, in your top 100 prospects on all major league baseball, then you're in trouble for a long period of time. I mean, as much as the Orioles say and come back to the point of, well, we've got a great farm system because we've got a bunch of players up here on the major league baseball roster that we've pulled from our from our farm system. That's great and good, but it's been a while since you've pulled a position player up and, and kept them up. I mean, the last player that she really pulled up and has made a significant value that was a top 100 prospect isn't even Mancini. It probably would be Scope, in all honesty. He's probably your last top 100 prospect that you pulled up. And even Scope was, I think it was like 80 or 90 as a sure, top 100 prospect. Yeah, I mean, 
So, I mean, the next position player that you're talking about that's a top 100 prospect is probably Cisco. Um, and do I think Cisco's a franchise player? No. Like, I still see him as like a Jonathan Scope kind of player where it's, all right, he's he's not bad, but he's not great. Let me take this back around to how to root for a, a bad team. I bet you that this period will be different than the last in the fact that we were all expecting each player to be the next big thing. Mm. I think that that you and I and a lot of fans of, of our you know development uh, that, that came along during that period will be more suspicious of the of the players coming up. I think that we will be more suspicious of anointing kings in the minor leagues and will be more in the show me state of sure yeah whatever and I think that we will be more pleasantly surprised than we were disappointed in this particular run sure i i think what it comes back to and i i think this is the third time i've harped on it now is this team needs a franchise player going forward and there's nothing currently within the orioles farm system that makes me think that they have that person right now so it really comes back to the big question which we've been asking ourselves all along um and we're entering into a very difficult month um uh, uh uh, right before the trade deadline is, is Manning going to be that franchise player now and in the future? And that's the big question is if, because if he's not, then it's an aspect of you need to figure out a way to have Manny turn into a franchise player through acquiring other players for Manny, or you sign Manny long-term and he becomes your franchise player. Because I sit down with my children and they love Manny Machado. And a part of me says, I really want you to root for Manny Machado. But a certain part of me also says it's very tough for me to completely embrace him as a franchise player, knowing that he could be gone in two years. Oh, you mean will he be a franchise player on this team? Right. Oh, I yeah. see. I see. Yeah. I see. I was confused for a minute there. Yeah, I was. I mean, I would argue maybe in that vein that Eric Bedard was our franchise player. That's the darkest of timelines right there. <laughs> I, I still say, though, if you go in and let's hypothetically say Manny gets signed long term for eight plus years, we'll go with that. And you say, I'm throwing out Scope, I'm throwing out Mancini, I'm throwing out Cisco, and I'm throwing out Trumbo and Davis who are going to be here for three plus years, basically. And Jones somehow comes back and plays for the team as well. I'd be perfectly happy and ecstatic with that team going forward. And I would have a very good rooting interest. My concern lies in the aspect of I don't know where the franchise is anymore. And we talked about this last year is who's going to be the franchise players. And now I'm left with the aspect of holding ashes in my hand, basically. And I don't know what to do with it anymore. Do you need to have a rooting? Would you prefer, let me see how best to ask this question. Would you prefer to have a rooting interest or would you prefer that the Orioles burn what they need to burn in order to come back a stronger franchise? I, I guess it's it's the the question: Should they tank the way the mm-hmm. Astros did? Mm-hmm. And boy, howdy, look at how the Astros are doing now! Or would you like them to do what they tried and failed to do for fourteen years, which was to give us something to go on while they tried to put the rest of it back together? So my opinion on this is: You know what? Let's pause that and let's go into the next segment, um, and we'll call that sell, sell, sell.
right, so there's a lot of talk going about um, all of Birdland right now um, about um, it, it's time for the Orioles to make the move and start selling off pieces and basically reestablishing the given farm system and basically starting from scratch. And coming off the last segment, we talked about how do you root for a bad team. Um, and in my opinion is you really need to have a franchise player in order to root for. And my opinion is there is no better person right now um, that could be that franchise player than a Manny Machado type player. Um, the caveat being, as you pointed out, Jake, is is there a person that you could go out and basically say, let's tank and let's get really bad like the Astros have in the past and we will get a bunch of franchise players basically out of the deal. And by doing so, we'll put ourselves in a better position. So, and I, and I think that's a, a sentiment that is held by a, a lot of people um, right now. So let's talk about the, the merits of that and what are some negatives of that in terms of the Orioles organization. So, Jake, uh, I'm going to put you in the, in the buy buy or in the sell, sell, sell category and tell me why we should sell, sell, sell. Well, I think that I have the baggage of having watched 14 years of Orioles baseball. And so my inclination of sell, sell, sell is simply not wanting to see that again. I think the Orioles tried to retool rather than rebuilding or whatever uh, euphemisms you want to use, didn't fully commit to it, and lo and behold, weren't successful. Mm -hmm. And part of that was uh, poor luck, and part of that was poor drafting, and part of that was poor development, and part of it was poor performance. And a lot of things went into that. There were failures all across the board. But I feel like if you have a bad uh, track record with rebuilding the club, Mm. you might as well stack the deck as much as you can. If you're looking for that franchise player to be able to actually win, instead of having a franchise player to simply put a couple of butts in the seats, I think that you need to just, you know, damn the torpedoes and go for it. Much in, in the opposite way that, you know, the Duquette era has been damn the torpedoes to spend everything to win, which, you know, again, has its merits. But I think that if you're going to rebuild the team, you might as well rebuild it from the ground all the way. Because from what I have seen anecdotally in my experience of watching the Baltimore Orioles is that trying to hang on a little bit at a time hasn't been a, a, a strategy that they can execute. I, and to be fair, I don't think it's a good way to execute both in baseball and in, in a business aspect as well. Like you don't want to do things part of the way, like part of the way in a hybrid mentality doesn't really work. You either say, I'm going to tank and get a bunch of really good draft picks and um, really build your system up in the process. Or you say, we're going to be as aggressive as possible and increase payroll accordingly. And, and to a certain regard, I think the Orioles have kind of done that. They've kind of traded away prospects in their farm system to go out and get um, starting pitching and positional players that they thought could make a, a, a difference. And But they've also increased payroll significantly over these past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know people are going to come back and say, mass and money, mass and money, mass and money. But the fact of the matter is, if they're any top 10 payroll, there's no reason to think that the Orioles should be a top 10 payroll team with the attendance that is currently at um, and with it being a small market team. And I realize they are getting money from the from the Nationals. Um, but from a cost analysis standpoint, the Orioles should be able to spend on payroll right around 140 to $160 million, which is pretty, pretty much where they're at right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, they are spending pretty much where they should be, maybe a little bit 
heavier than they should be. Um, but I, I think the big question is, coming back to another point you made, was the or if the Orioles go out and say, we're going to sell and we're going to get rid of players, what makes us think that the players that they're going to get back, they're going to be able to develop them into anything whatsoever? It's, uh, a, it's a totally fair question. Right. But I, I guess my my counter to that is the more quantity you have, the better chances you have. Yeah, I, I understand that. It's it's the aspect of, um, let's say you're looking for a, a pile of gold, for example. And, and I am. And, and someone, I'm in the market. And says, hey, if you buy enough hay bales, you may be able to find an ounce of gold somewhere in there. So you go and buy 100 hay bales and you come across and you say, hey, there's no gold in this. Well, the other guy basically went and spent his money on something else, and you've got a bunch of hay bales basically sitting there as well. But if I find Rumpelstiltskin, that's true. I'm you're rich. you're golden, yes. But as the Orioles have shown, they haven't been able to find Rumpelstiltskin yet alone spell his name. So I would just like to point out that no other Orioles podcast will bring Rumpelstiltskin, Rumpelstiltskin. into their into their analysis. Yes, I, I think it comes back to and I've, I brought this topic up in the past before. And it's the Mucina conundrum, mm-hmm. which is if you've got a pitcher or a player that you know is has a Hall of Fame criteria and a talent level, what do you do in order to maintain him for as long as possible? So it comes back to um, the Orioles had a chance to sign Mucina for a long-term contract, um, and they didn't do so. They said, oh, we'll just give you an extension for a few years and see what happens. And by doing so... Mucina basically went to the Yankees because they he felt like he was much more valued in that organization. The Orioles need to probably overspend is the best way to put it to maintain certain players. And they've done that before with, with Chris Davis. Way overspend. Way overspend for Chris <laughs> Davis. And I, I honestly think it's going to be the same situation with Manny Machado where they're going to way overspend for Manny Machado. And it's probably going to be a $400 million contract if they want to do it. And I, I, I'm looking across the table at Jake right now, and it looks like Wincing. he, he, it looks like he just bit into a sour pickle, basically right now. Um, but that's the kind of money that it is going to take to basically get Manny Machado, and it is a lot of money, and it is going to hamstring the organization potentially long term. It gets into the Tommy conundrum. Remember, I brought yeah. the Tommy conundrum. Well, that's my question to you. So, going back to the discussion of the franchise player, sure. If if it if it takes four hundred million dollars to get Manny, yeah. is Manny the franchise player for this organization? Can he Ooh. be the franchise player for this organization? So I say yes. And my caveat to that is if you're going to start somewhat from scratch is the best way to describe it, you're gonna to have to have a bunch of arbitration players and um, minor league players that are coming up that are going to be on the dirt cheap. And the Orioles in 2012 and 2013 did that. Now they have no arbitration players left. So they're going to have to get back to that aspect. But if you have eight years of Manny, you have a greater degree of flexibility in saying, we're able to take me take one or two or three seasons that were not so great um, to basically make up for that. I will say, however, 14 years of losing when you had nothing is bad wasting a career of Manny Machado being unable to build a team around him to win a championship criminal. I think it would be 
here's the thing. You've got to have the talent, though. If you're if you say, let's not have any talent and hope that they can pull something out. That is a very Steve Molesky kind of thought process. And I think that we've proven that that is a very bad way to conduct business on a day in a day out basis. So we're dancing around a lot of questions here. And one of the questions I have is, you know, regardless of whether it's a drastic sell sure. or or a mini sell. Sure. Is the is any part of the leadership that's present going to be going to be present and can it be successful in the next winning phase? And uh, of course, I'm talking about Anderson and Showalter. Yep. Uh, yes and yes. And I'll go on record and say I honestly think that Duquette could actually be part of the process as well if the Orioles want him to be. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Orioles are going to say we want to move on. But I think Duquette could equally be successful in that kind of market as well. I'm really interested by that because I think that as much as I, as much as I rag, and I'm, I'm I'm being honest here, as much as yeah. I rag on on Dan Duquette, I think he's very good at the things that he does well. Yeah. But I think that the things that he does well have been highlighted by the fact that the organization was in the state that it was in after uh, Andy McPhail was here, who also was not bad at the things that he right. did. And I don't know that Duquette is so much a rebuilder sure. as he is a a post builder, yeah, or or a uh, you know a user of the 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 resources that have been made available to him. So I would classify Dan Duquette as a connect the dots GM, yeah, where it's someone has already put the dots together, and it's Dan Duquette's job to basically fill the dots in to make the kitty image basically at the end of it, so that he can color it in at the very end. It's a it's a maple leaf. It probably is a maple leaf, actually, and it will fill it. It's either that or a Jewish star, but um, it's one of those two, basically. Dylan Young. No, he ran the Israeli baseball oh, academy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but you know, we everybody laughs about Showalter being able to, you know, walk walk the bride to the church, but not walk her down the aisle. You know, maybe there's something to be said about you know somebody like that being able to build, but not necessarily be able to to succeed with that that building. And maybe Duquette, I, I think the argument I'm making is that Duquette's the opposite of that. Sure. I think it's also an interesting scenario, because we've talked about this before, about, you know, people say, well, Duquette should be out. Buck should be moved into a front office role. And I'm hesitant is the best way to describe it. I love Buck. I think Buck does a great job in the clubhouse. Um, I think he really gets his players to buy in. But at the same point, Buck is very stubborn in his willingness to accept new ideas slash different aspects of the game um, from both a statistical approach. Um, that leaves me thinking that it may be a giant failure. Um, whereas when I see conversations with like Brady, for example, Brady seems a lot more open to try something and if it doesn't work, he's quick to basically say, well, that was a bad idea. I'm quickly moving away from this. Where Buck, I think, would stick with Ebaldo Jimenez all the way through that contract? Yeah, not, not even that. But I just think <laughs> stick with the thing and say, this should work eventually. We're going to basically pay this off eventually. And eventually we'll get back to where we need it to be. And that can get very frustrating, um, as we've seen with the Dark Ages as well. So I still think it comes back to... Um, if a dramatic move needs to be made, I don't know if it is Dan's out, Bucks, and then as a GM. I think it is to your point of um, 
we need to find someone that can potentially rebuild and the team has to get into a situation of they're willing to rebuild in different ways that are unique from other teams. So this is something I'm really interested in because it, it sounds like you are are very much rip the bandaid off in the front office mm. and less so rip the bandaid off on the 25 man roster. I I think I'm less rip the bandaid off on the 25 man roster in terms of Manny Machado. Mm, okay. So I'm willing to rip the Band-Aid off on the entire roster as long as Manny can sign a long-term contract. If Manny doesn't sign a long-term contract, I, I, I honestly think it's the aspect of you might as well go into tank mode. Yeah. I mean, if you can't re-sign Manny, you take the Band-Aid off with a power washer. <laughs> it's more of a, a chainsaw, basically, approach at that point. It would be the Orioles' chainsaw massacre. Yeah. I, I, so, I mean, you and I agree the Orioles should be in sell mode. There, there is no conscionable uh, activity that they can go into and be buyers come the end of July. Well, I'm not necessarily sure I agree with that just yet. What else do you need to see? We've seen two sustained months and plus of awful Orioles baseball. How many times have we seen the Orioles look absolutely terrible coming into the all-star break this is different this is way <laughs> different i mean uh I, what was it two years ago with the uh no risp where they just had a terrible may but they had a great june or vice versa. i don't remember yeah. what it was they had a terrible may yeah and they followed up with a terrible jew and could they have Did you say jew or june june okay could they have a, a nice month or two coming up ahead of them maybe yep but we're really getting into that mode where they're so far back in in catch up and also just nothing looks like it can write itself that I, I wonder what are we doing here? Can we afford to have another Zach Davies for Gerardo Para trade to try to mangle our way through the twenty seventeen season? The answer to you is yes. Oh no. So the Orioles are definitely gonna buy. Oh man. And the problem is you're not wrong. They just shouldn't. And they, it, it's one of those questions of, here's the thing. Uh, everyone will come back and point to the Yankees last year. The Orioles are nothing like the Yankees of last year because, A, they don't have the talent that the Yankees had to trade away. And, B, the farm system for the Yankees was still, like, top five at the time. So they basically turned from a top five into a top two farm system. The Orioles are a top 30 at best. <laughs> <laughs> So to, they're top five in the so, international. So league. to turn this around and say, "Oh, well, the Orioles are going to trade away their people, and they're instantly going to become the Yankees next year," is it's asinine is the best way to, to put it. The Orioles, if they trade away, are going to be in the situation where it's going to be an awful next five years. I am all for damn the torpedoes and let's see what can happen. And I'm also for let's see what can happen in terms of potentially gaining players. Um, not just for this year, but also for next year, which comes back to the point of, I honestly think that um, the Orioles should be doing their darndest right now. I think the Orioles should be doing their darndest right now to get Nick Marquez back, which solves <laughs> which solves my franchise player situation. If the Orioles go back and get Nick Marquez back, it gets back to a situation of I don't need them to sign Machado long term. I can just have them. I can just root for Marquez. Why, why don't we just bring back Brian Roberts? Why don't we just do that? Look, if Brian Roberts could come back in the booth <laughs> and replace Mike Bordick in the booth, I'd be perfectly ecstatic. I'd watch this team every single night if I could just look out and be like, 
oh, there's Nick. There's his wife out there. And then there's uh, there's Brian Roberts in the booth talking to me. And then Dan Roberts is right there, too. So you're telling me that the solution to the Orioles' problems is to go back in time to 2010 Utah Street. Yes, exactly. Do you realize how happy Adam Jones would be, too? And I could just I just want to see that. Not to mention, the Orioles are going to get rid of Hunsu Kim in like the next week or two, as it is. It's a perfect time with Atlanta out of it being two games, games under 500. Not like the Orioles, who are you know going to be four games under 500. For the Orioles to basically buy heavy, get Nick Marcakis back with the Orioles, and get a franchise player back on this team. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even I can't even tell how serious you are, and so I'm not even sure how can can we end this segment and just say that this is the saddest bird's eye view we've ever created. Um yeah, we can go with that. We can go with that. Um cheer me up a little bit with with fantasy balls. I, I need to feel better about All right, myself. I'll cheer you up. Ready? Let's do this. Well, when it comes to popping and natural finger popping, baby, you sure do swing. And when it comes to popping and a natural finger popping, daddy, you are the king. Baby, you got me beat up and down inside and across. Ooh. Oh, Scott is the boss once again this week in Fantasy Boss. And, I'm not uh, cheered up, Scott. I'm not cheered up. We went with dongs this week, and um, there wasn't many to be had by the players that we picked. Uh, we I were pick, the only ones. I picked Manny Machado. He had one. Uh, Jake picked Trey Mancini, who put up a whopping zero. So uh, Scott takes the week in Fantasy Boss, uh, extending his lead to two to nothing. Um, Derek Arnold must be ecstatic. Um, Jake. Again, you get to pick the category for this week. Bring it on. I don't even know how to recover from something like that. No dongs in the week. No dongs in the week. No dongs in the week. All right. So <clears throat> clearly, we need to embrace the suck. I'm just going to yes. go go right back to my old uh, how to root for a bad team. So clearly, we got to go back to starting pitching. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with most dongs allowed. Oh, okay. I am going to go with uh, Dylan Bundy. That's a great pick. That's a great pick because even when he does well, yep. uh, he is he is. Uh, so we we talked about this earlier in the season. Um, we talked about how well Dylan Bundy was doing, and I had mentioned um, at that point I was probably about four or five weeks ago about Dylan Bundy's xFIP, and I had pointed out saying, "Hey, um, you know, Dylan Bundy's ERA is three point two. His xFIP is around four point five, um, mainly due to the home run ball." Any concern about that, Jake? And Jake said, no, that's not a big deal. And sure enough, now Dylan Bundy's ERA is above four, just like the rest of the Orioles' rotation. No, 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 no. Above four like the rest of the Orioles' rotation is true, but not close to 10 that's true. like the rest of the right. Orioles' rotation. I mean, there's a big gap. Anyway, um, that's a good pick. My pick, I think this is going to impress you. Okay. My pick is Alec Asher. Ooh. Because Alec Asher is good for a three-run home run just about every time he comes in. Yeah. Even when he has a decent uh, uh, relief appearance in junk time. Uh, I'm going with Alec Asher. That's a good one. I mean, if Mike Wright was on the DL, I would have pointed to him. But uh, Alec Asher, not a bad call. Um, so we're going to go with... Now, we're doing home runs just as a count or as a rate? 
Oh, I am going to say as a count. Okay, you want to do count. Okay, so we're going to do home run as a count, uh, and we'll see. Now, Jake, as I pointed out before, from a count standpoint, you always know that this happens where there's a tie. Um, so can we go with uh, multi-run home runs as the tiebreaker? Absolutely. So okay. the the player that gives up the most in those home runs is the tiebreaker? Yes. Okay, I like that it. That sound good to you? I like it. All right. What happens if it's both zero? Um, if it's both zero, I tell you what, we'll call it a tie for the week. Nice. All right. Nice. All right. Well, with that, um, I think that's all we got for fantasy boss, unless you got anything else to add for that. You won't let me do wild cards. So I think nope, that's, that's, that's absolutely forbidden at this moment. So let's go to the good, the bad and the ugly. That's right, it's time again. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is the part where we uh, we talk about you know what makes us proud to be Orioles fans, few and far between, and what makes us ashamed uh, week in and week out. So my good for this week... All right, moving on to the next part. <laughs> my good is going to be Kevin Gosman. No, really. He had a good start this week. He had a good start. In one game, he even picked up that all-important stat. The pitcher win. Seven innings pitched. Incredibly low BABIP uh, of 143, and and that's the difference. The Luck Dragon was with him. It was a good start. And, Scotty, you had talked about him having a couple of strong uh, starts, even though the, the results weren't there, that the, the process was starting to fall into place. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've given up hoping that he'll turn it around, but at least for one week, Kevin Gosman was good. All right. So this is a controversial pick, but... Uh, I've never been one to stray away from controversial picks. My good for the week is actually going to go to Ubaldo Jimenez. Yikes. I, I still come back to, he picks, pitched eight innings of uh, scoreless baseball, only allowing uh, two hits uh, against Toronto on the 29th. Yeah, I realized that his last start uh, against Milwaukee wasn't so hot with five innings pitched with five earned runs. But I, I'm still going to come back to the point of, you know, his strikeout rate has been really nice lately. Um, he did give up some home runs in, in Milwaukee. But all things considering, I do think Abado Jimenez is potentially um, one of the better starting pitchers right now going forward for the Baltimore Orioles. Can I ask you a question? Sure. What's the difference between Abaldo Jimenez and a blind squirrel? Uh, he can find a nut, nut every once in a while. Blind squirrel not being paid $50 million. Yeah, but he's not being paid $50 million anymore. He's only being paid $13 million. You already paid him all that money. Yeah. I'd rather see a Baldo Menes out there than, no offense, I'd rather see him out there than Jason Aquino, for example. And everyone was hyping up Jason Aquino earlier tonight. And including, saying, the, including the Milwaukee Brewers. Right, and they were like, oh, well, he's three, three scoreless, three innings, and he's only given one run. But this comes back to the Mike Wright syndrome, which is, yeah, but after enough exposure, he's going to get wrecked. And the Orioles did nothing to basically push him away and say, hey, if you can get us through three innings, we'll put move you out of there and we'll put somebody else in there as a bullpen game. Instead, the Orioles basically said, we're going to push our luck and see what happens. I'm okay with Abaldo Jimenez being meh 
over two games. I'm really glad that you brought up the Mike Wright syndrome because I'm going to bring up another syndrome. Okay. And that is Stockholm syndrome. Ah, yes. I have seen this movie before. I know how it ends. And I will not get on the Ebaldo Jimenez hype train. I won't. I won't do it. He had a good game, and that's fantastic. Then he crapped his pants in his next start. That is what you get. And if you get your hopes up because of Ebaldo Jimenez's few good starts, yep. you deserve every bit of the heartbreak. So four four games, uh, seven innings pitch, two earned runs, four hits. Total? Uh, that was for 618. 623 was two and a third, nine earned runs, uh, seven hits against the Tampa Bay Rays. Then eight innings pitched, two hits, zero earned runs against the Toronto Blue Jays. And Milwaukee, five innings pitched, five earned runs um, with six hits. I, I still have to come back to, I don't think it's as bad as we're making out to be as of recently. When he had that great start, everybody acted like it was Rudy. All right? Caleb Joseph was just giddy to have been part of the game. Buck Showalter was like, oh my gosh, it was great. Can you believe that? When the manager says that about your performance because he was expecting you to be crap, you're crap. Yeah, he's probably crap. But you know what? It was a good story. He's a good kind of crap this week. So Just don't look into his eyes. <laughs> don't look into his eyes. All right. My bad for this week. Manny Machado. Yeah. And look, the thing is that he looked like he was starting to come out of it. And then this week, no bueno. Manny Machado was so how bad was he no Manny Machado just didn't get it done at the plate a negative 14 weighted runs created plus for the past week he needs to break out of it big time for us because you know the moment he goes elsewhere if he does he'll just explode yeah absolutely um so my bad for the week is going to go to um, Monday evening's game and it was the game where the Orioles lost eight to one to the Milwaukee Brewers and let's just put this in perspective. The only RBI that was had during this game was from Jimmy Yacobanas. I was pretty sure he was going to be our all-star to the point where I saw the alert go off and I said, do we like sign a new utility infielder or something like that? And then I pulled up and I was like, no, that's, that's a relief pitcher that has our only RBI um, for the game. Um, the Orioles offense on whole has been bad this past week. But Jimmy Yacobanas getting the only RBI in Monday's game um, is the cherry on top of the Sunday for the Orioles offense this past week. So that's my bad for the week. My ugly goes to Orioles fundamentals because there has not been one, but in fact, two blown rundowns this week. It's one thing to not be able to hit. And the Orioles have that going on. And it's another thing to not be able to pitch. And the Orioles have that going on in spades. But it's really difficult to watch this team not be able to field. And when you say that, you're generally thinking of the outfield because of who's out there. But to watch the Orioles infield botch these plays so close together, just not a good look. So my ugly this week, Orioles fundamentals. Jake, you nearly knocked us out of the park. Um, but Orioles ugly this week is... Well, it's Orioles baseball in general. Oh. There was nothing about this week of Orioles baseball that really made you want to say, um, this is a good team moving forward. Yeah, they had a positive series against the Blue Jays, but everything else on this Orioles week in, the, in, in its whole was absolutely ugly. 
this was Dark Ages baseball at its best. Um, this is the kind of games that we are expecting coming into starting this podcast. Um, and it is going to be very interesting to see how content is filled out for this podcast going forward. I'm going to um, head out to the liquor store after this podcast. I'm going to buy myself some 1.75 liter bottles worth of Tito's and Jack and I'm thinking Bombay Sapphire as well. That might work. And um, I think we are going to restock and um, we are just basically going to um, buy, buy, buy instead of, um, well, what am I looking for? I guess we're not going to do uh, any of this. Wilson! Now, we're going to buy, buy, buy here at Bird's Eye View in the gin market and maybe some orange juice as well, but concentrated orange juice at that as well. Uh, and see what happens. It's a mid-market podcast. It's a mid-market. We've got to get, get the concentration. That's right. Uh, Scotty, for this uh, glowing podcast that we've just recorded, I would love to blow the save. Ooh, let me play you some music, and uh, you can go ahead and blow it. Scotty, it's approaching mid-July. And you know what that means for the land of Orioles baseball. Sadness and tears? Yeah. Okay. But something else. Okay. And I'm not talking about the All-Star game. It's mid-July, which means that here on Bird's Eye View, it is time again for the Bevies. Oh, yeah. And Scotty, this is the fifth annual Bevy Awards. Fifth. Wow. We've done this five times. Why? And no one has stopped us. Now, it's come close. It's true. We did get that uh, season. If, yeah. if you are listening to this program and you have no idea what the bevies are, first of all, run. Uh, second of all, the bevies are a... La, 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 la. They're a sometimes fond, sometimes mean-spirited look back at the first half of Orioles baseball and a look ahead to what the rest of the season might, might hold in store for us. So for this show, what we'll do is we will release it during the All-Star break. And uh, what are the bevies? Well... When we say it's an award show, we we hand out some hardware, some non-existent imaginary hardware. But these are awards uh, granted by us and some of our friends and colleagues in the bird sphere, friends of the program. And I got to tell you, if uh, the folks that have committed to participating this year actually pull through... And you better. <laughs> we're going to have quite a few bevies this year, which means one important thing, Scott, which is less time of you and me talking... I think we can all agree that that is a good thing. So, Last time of us talking, more of us singing? Well, let, let's, not, let's not get crazy. Uh, so pay attention to your uh, Twitterverse uh, and, and wherever you get your fine podcasts. For the bevies, it will be out, uh, we'll call it maybe the Thursday of the week. Of, that sounds uh, about right. Give you something to fill your all-star break with is the best way to describe it. Because in all honesty, you're not turning into the Home Run Derby slash uh, all-star game this year. No, you need to listen in to see what uh, melodious sounds Scott has prepared for you this year and what new and interesting awards we're going to hang a, uh, hand out in the fifth annual Bevy Awards. Because I'm a genie in a bottle. You, you better rub me the right way. You are indeed. <laughs> 
And that's our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find this show on baltimoresportsreport.com slash network and also on baseballtalkradio.com, the home of great baseball talk. This podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. We'd appreciate a rating and a review. It helps establish what's called social proof about the show and encourages new listeners to check it out. Hey, uh, in these dark times, come and engage with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Google+, and Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And on that rosy note... Baltimore and beyond, I have nothing left, so I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Baltimore, good night to you. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. Please, please win at least one game coming up. Scotty, this team, this is the team we were promised in 2012. It's about time they delivered. It's over. Go home. Go.